We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. What could we be breaking down? Oh, I don't know. The NBA trade deadline, the latest move, bluff, I don't know what you want to call it, on the uh, potential future stadium for the Cleveland Browns. But welcome to the show. We got Mac Robinson here on the board. We've got Keith Britton with us, Meredith Kane with us. And I mean, today is officially bat bleep insane. There's really no other way to put it. One, the NBA trade deadline's coming up in about uh, 56 minutes here. It should be noted, the Cavs have not made a trade yet, uh, but the rest of the NBA has made at least one move. Yeah, and it's still boring. Yeah, No. There's the pr- never blockbusters on NBA trade deadline day. Rarely. No, so... It's boring if you don't care about Patrick Beverly. All, all the big trades happen in the off Well, yeah, okay. Now, I I think for casuals, I do think it's boring. It's not like it's the NFL and not like Major League Baseball. You, you're not getting like who, who was like who was the last like premier player traded at the NFL trade deadline? Like they're good players traded. Yeah, but there's not like it's not like a starting quarterback get traded. Like well, ooh, no, the Josh Dobbs happens. move. I but I agree with you. I actually think it's the opposite. I think it's overwhelming. I think the amount of, I think 25%, this, I'm pulling this number out of thin air, 25% of the NBA has been traded to this point. We have 56 it's minutes to go. all role players. Yeah, okay, but I guarantee you there are people in Cleveland right now who would die for a role player. Royce O'Neal just this got Delta Phoenix. They don't need that. Oh, you and your team-friendly narratives. That's all you are. I, I did just disagree. Is there anything that they could do today that's going to make a difference in whether they win a playoff series? Well, not now, April? not with the guys right. that have moved on, but like if you had added Bogdan Bogdanovich, um, not only would that be fun to say Bogdan Bogdanovich, but or uh, Bojan Bogdanovich, any of the Bogdanoviches, really, uh, Bogdanovich, please. But like that would have been a, a really important move. Royce O'Neal, I think, would have been an important move. But like, would that have really moved the needle for you in yes. terms of really? Yes, because because of, of where those guys play. Yeah, but like Chris said yesterday, they've already got a, a problem with trying to get all these guys in the rotation as it is. Well, that's when you're fully healthy. That's guards and bigs. They still have a massive issue on the wing. And they keep throwing Struess out there, and they throw Sam out there, and they throw different players out there. Isaac, obviously, has been really great defensively. But, like, yes, you could. There are upgrades out there over what they current have, currently have. Do I think it's going to be the different? Like, listen, it's still about Donovan. It's still about Evan. It's still about the uh, Darius and Jarrett. It, it's, it's still about them. And the upgrades you've made, three-point shooting. But, yeah, you can always get better in the NBA. I just think it's overwhelming. Like, I had Mac, because I didn't want to do it, quite frankly. Sorry, Mac. I had Mac run through the trades that had been done today, like, before, but before like, the, the show meeting started an hour ago. It's already obsolete. And there are 10 deals at least on this on this piece of paper. So, I think it's overwhelming. Like, you can only trade um, so many versions of uh, Evan Fournier before I black out a little bit. But we are going to hear from... The Cavs GM, Kobe Altman, that's big news. We don't hear from Kobe a lot, so you're going to hear from Kobe in the 3 o'clock hour. We're going to carry his post-deadline press conference. Interesting. At this point, I don't expect the Cavs to make a move. 
given that Royce O'Neal, who they've been connected to, has uh, is going to Phoenix. Given that uh, Bogdanovich, I don't think they have the assets to get, but Bogdanovich has been traded. And just because the Cavs don't make a move doesn't mean there isn't analysis to be had, given what New York has done leading up to the deadline and now at the deadline. But the other big news, it hit today, and Daryl Ryder has been all over this. Check out his story for every single detail on 923thefan.com. He'll actually be joining us tomorrow as my co-host, as he's doing on Fridays through the rest of this month. And we're going to talk about, obviously, the story. But the big news is the Browns are finalizing a purchase for 176 acres in Brook Park. And the Browns have since uh, released a, a, a press statement saying that they uh, they do reaffirm their commitment to building and a new stadium or, or you know stadium improvements in Northeast Ohio. They hinted and pointed to the complications of building a new stadium. They uh, lauded uh, the collaborative approach with the, the mayor and the city of Cleveland and also kind of wrapped it all up by saying there's still plenty of work and due diligence to be done before a decision will be made. And I'm just, I am, all right, so there are two ways to think of this. Nick Wilson personally doesn't care where the stadium is. Uh, I think this spot in Brook Park makes a heck of a lot of sense because it's no longer about building a stadium in the NFL. It's about building a monopoly. It's basically just throw a monopoly board over in Brook Park and that's what it's going to look like. Oh, here's where the railroad is. Here's where, uh, here's how you're going to get there. And here's a parking lot for people to tailgate and here's hotels and here's, uh, restaurants and here's Park Avenue and here's all these different things. And oh, by the way, here's a big ass stadium right in the middle of it with everything leading up to it. So I like it doesn't take one glance at what uh, Jerry, uh, I'm calling him Jerry Judy, Jerry Jones has done in Dallas to understand why NFL owners have lusted after that kind of campus. Um, the, the opinions on whether SoFi was worth it or not are one thing, but like, look at what they've done in uh, Los Angeles with a Rams stadium. And again, those are big market spots. I'm not expecting that exact same thing, but like, it's no longer can you buy a stadium? So, or can you just build a stadium? And who finances it? It becomes more than that because you got these huge developments that are more than just a a football stadium, dome stadium, retractable roof stadium. But I'm curious how much you care about where they build the stadium. I don't care because, guys, I don't live downtown. So, quite frankly, I'm driving to a Browns game no matter where I go. If I want to go to a Browns game and I live in Manaway, I'm driving 40 minutes to go ahead and come downtown. So, uh, what's 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 different for me if this is the Brook Park location, if that ends up coming to fruition, the difference for me is going to be I'm just going to continue going straight instead of going up 77 and coming downtown. So it's still a 40-minute drive. Honestly, Nick Wilson just likes new, nice things. But I do think, like, that's my personal opinion of where the stadium is located isn't going to change my patronage or my supporting the Cleveland Browns. And I do think this is a significant blow for the city of Cleveland. Not only, you know, we we had Meredith play the sound of Justin Bibb uh, two weeks ago, um, which which Daryl bird dogged the mayor to get in the first place because um, I I don't really I don't really think it really matters all that much. I'm okay, I think it matters to the city of Cleveland, but I I do think on one hand the city of Cleveland has. Fiscal issues and stadiums are super, super expensive. And the things that you have to do to get them 
look bad politically to a certain segment of the voting public. So there's already that complication. I think Justin Bibb is really interested in talking about taking a gummy with Scene Magazine. I think that's what he's interested in. I think he's I think he's into things that make him look like the cool, hip, progressive po- politician and not necessarily doing the thing that is probably going to alienate his base just a little bit, which is by finding a way to keep the Cleveland Browns in downtown. And I think the reason why it's a loss for Cleveland is not just any sort of fiscal impact, which can be debated upon by economists, and I hate all those people. I don't hate all those people. They just bore me. I don't like to be bored, all right? Not at this stage in my life. I could feign and I could feign like I cared ten years ago. Now just get me the nice thing and get me wherever it needs to be. But I digress. So I don't. I have never really got the sense that the city of Cleveland, under the leadership of Justin Bibb, is all that serious about keeping the Browns in Cleveland. And the reason why it matters is because I do think these things give economic impact, and I think it does matter for um, parking lots on West Third and for the Muni lot. And I think it does matter to the restaurants. That, that we work with and that have supported this station and have supported the Cleveland Browns all along the way down there. So, like, just overall, because I know those people, because I care about their businesses, yeah, I don't like that either. But the most the most important thing is, maybe I'm, maybe I'm cynical. I just don't ever think that the lakefront is going to be de- dealt with by Cleveland. And I think if you take that stadium out or if you take the Browns out of that section of Cleveland, I think it is going to be a big stinky turd down there. Meaning specifically, like, I like there every five years we have some new uh, lakefront economic rede- redevelopment thing and it never comes to fruition. So if, if you're having problems getting a stadium built there, I kind of am suspect that you're going to build something cool down there anyways. And so that kind of just depresses me. So like, I think it's a huge loss for the, the city of Cleveland for the Browns. I guys, the people are going to travel for the Browns. All right. It used to be a real pain in the butt. If you were a Cavs fan to get out to Richfield even though I loved where that stadium was, and I lo- that's like my home turf, like Peninsula, that's my jam. All right, I, I got a lot of love for that part of Summit County. And Richfield and Hinkley, that whole area is just super awesome to me. I just love it. I love the parks down there. I don't know why I'm going on about that. I just really love that area of Ohio. But I digress. But the point is, like, the Cavs, tough draw. Tough draw to the middle of Northeast Ohio to get Cavs fans to come out of the city to come down and get them uh, redirected from going downtown. Uh, the Guardians, I think, would have been a tough sell trying to get, if you wanted to put it in uh, Brook Park, I think that would have been a tough sell because you're already kind of struggling to get people downtown and keep them downtown for 162 events. The Browns, guys, I think the Browns are going to be just fine. The, the Browns have never been what I worried about this. I don't think, I think when it, whatever the new Muni lot is, whatever the new any of this is, I think they're going to be just fine. But what happens where the Browns should, the Browns vacate, that I think is the bigger concern. And I'm sure Cleveland's thought about it. I'm sure the city of Cleveland's thought about it. But I think I get a huge loss for downtown. And that's what I hate. I hate that for the Browns to continue to prosper, for Browns fans to prosper, for uh, the surrounding areas in Brook Park to prosper. I hate that it comes at the expense of the downtown uh, scene and from, of course, the city of Cleveland. 216-474-0092. So I personally just want a nice new stadium. I hate what it means for the city of Cleveland, and I'm pretty cynical of what it's going to mean for the lakefront, but does it matter to you if the new Brown Stadium, 
this hypothetically this hypothetical new stadium that will become a reality at some point in bold details in the next year, two years, whatever. Does it matter that it won't be downtown if this uh, stretch of land in Brook Park, 176 acres, becomes the new landing spot for the uh, for this new stadium? I'm gonna keep saying new stadium about 17 times. Two one six four seven four double zero nine two. At Nick Wilson says, uh, of course, social media reaction on X brought to you. Oh, my friends at Shive and Jewelers, Cleveland's premier jewelry store. Uh, we've got that to react to, the NBA trade deadline. If the Cavs make a move, you're going to hear about it here first. Uh, even if they don't make a move, you're going to hear about that here first as well. Kobe Altman coming up in the 3 o'clock hour. We'll get his reaction to the deadline and the Cavs standing pat or not standing pat. We've also got the Pulse at 420 with Keith. we got Albert Breer coming up at 520 of the MMQB. Danny Cunningham joins us to co-host in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, also, if you want to throw in whether you want the Cavs to make a move or not, or whether you agree with Keith's insane take on how boring this deadline is, 216-474-0092, how much does it matter to you if the new Brown Stadium isn't located in downtown on the lakefront? Get ready for those parking – I'm sorry, get ready for those speeding tickets. Yeah, I'm just telling you, Brook Park, cops, I'm, I respect you. You do a great job. My bank account does not respect you. When I lived in Lodi and I had to drive downtown – Oh, they popped me. And it wasn't just, there was one, one time I totally deserved it. The other time, it was like four miles an hour over. I was mad. I was steaming mad. What can you do? Like Jim Carrey from uh, Liar Liar, which I can't say on air because it's very suggestive. Uh, you guys can win a four-pack of tickets to Monster Jam 2024 at Rocket, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. February 16th through the 18th, enter the word POWER. By the end of our show at 923thefan.com to get registered to win, we do have Kobe Altman's press conference on NBA trade deadline day coming up here. Uh, the the big kind of cliff notes, um, New York has acquired um, Bogdanovich and Alec Burks from Detroit for Quentin Grimes and some second-round picks. And Dallas has acquired uh, P.J. Walker from Charlotte. Uh, Phoenix has gotten Royce O'Neal, uh, somebody that the Cavs were reportedly targeting. Uh, Toronto made a bunch of very confusing moves. Uh, OKC traded for Gordon Hayward. Philadelphia got Buddy Heald. I think that move only really matters if uh, Joel Embiid comes back this year, but that's the latest on the NBA trade deadline. We'll see if the Cavaliers can uh, can can make anything happen here or whether they feel the need to make anything happen. But as we talk about making things happen, so I, I just to reiterate what we started the show with, we're into some calls here. I think I think this the the lakefront specifically needs the Browns more than the Browns need the lakefront. And I can't say like I really can't say like oh I'm happy. I mean no, it it, it sucks for downtown, uh, for all those businesses along the way, for the lakefront, which I I cannot imagine is going to get better without the Browns down there. But, like, if this is evolution, if this is logical progression for the Browns, okay, we're not getting what we need from the city. We don't feel that, so we're going to look elsewhere. Um, the number one thing I just don't want them to do is is rebuild or retool the current stadium. I just – that just continues – when it when it happened a decade ago, I understood it. It, it, it. That stadium needs more work than is worth it. And more importantly, it's just – it's an in-between. I don't like half measures. It felt like a half measure, but I understood why a decade ago. Now it feels like a moment to, you know what, or get off the pot. 
And I think it's really important that the Browns get a new stadium. I have opinions on what that stadium should look like, as I'm sure all of you do. But if that means you got to go to Brook Park, well, I think that opens up opportunities for new restaurants, new businesses, new hotels. I think that opens up, and, and how you design it obviously opens up maybe for more logical spots for tailgaters. Um, even though I don't know how like financially that would change, you know, if it's all owned by the Haslam's or however this is going to happen. But like, I think this could lead to a lot of really good things for the Cleveland Browns and their fans. And at this point, like I would like the Browns to have their Mecca. I would like the Browns to have something you can point to and say, that's a building that is deserving of the Cleveland Browns fans, because you've not been able to say that for 25 years. It's always been something that was built as cheap as could be built for uh, on the existing site. And there's nothing remarkable about that building. I hate that because, Hey man, it's where the team plays, but you know, everybody puts it on a Super Bowl. We'll ask Albert Breer that coming up at five twenty. Yeah. Super Bowl will be nice. You know, it'd also be nice. Uh, more final fours, more uh, chance for WrestleMania, more chance for big premier events. And I just don't see that happening on the lakefront. So, Yep, yeah, Brook Park. Yep, yeah, that's that can be a drive for some of us. Eh, Cleveland's already a drive for some of us as well. 216-474-0092. Does it matter to you if the Browns' new stadium isn't in the city of Cleveland? Charles. Welcome to the show, Charles. Hey, how you guys doing? Uh, you guys do a good job. I listen to you guys every day on the ride to work. I appreciate um, you, buddy. Thank you very much. Nick, I agree with two things. Uh, it's going to hurt the uh, downtown Cleveland uh, businesses. And the other thing is I agree with you with the Brook Park cops. <laughs> um, <laughs> Respectfully, you know, of course. Four- I'm not trying to get another yeah. parking or another driving ticket. <laughs> but I work at Ford Motor Company down on Brook Park Road, and, you know, I drive that road every day. And uh, I just hope that this will help uh, the city of Brook Park because they need the roads fixed. You know, that'll bring the businesses. Um, I think it's a good thing and a bad thing, but, uh, you know, change is uh, good sometimes. Excellent stuff, Charles. Appreciate the kind words, buddy. Have a good day. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I think anywhere that had enough land for the Browns to go, I think inevitably it'll be a good thing. And and listen, residents might initially have a problem. You have to get used to different traffic. You're going to have to get used to – um, I, I, I can't, I think it was the morning show. I think I heard them say something about like, oh no, I think it was actually Jeff Phelps said, yeah, the only people that are really going to care that are trying to catch a flight on Sundays, uh, during, during football season. And all of a sudden your, uh, your, your time to get to the airport in and out is going to be just a little bit longer, but no, I mean, I, I think, you know, I can respect that. I think in this case, and we, you know, we've given some, some criticism to the Browns for football stuff. I think the Browns have tried to do the right thing this whole way. And I know it can get I, I know it can get incredibly cynical when we start talking about billionaires and their money and who should pay for what and it gets nasty and it gets political, all of which I don't really care about. I just I don't I don't care to cast aspersions, although I I might have um with the city of Cleveland's leadership on this earlier, but like overall I think the Haslam's have tried to do what they felt was best, which was keep it downtown. And if this is, you know, if this is the beginning of that decision to look elsewhere in Northeast Ohio, 
I like I've heard people compare it to 94. They've heard them compare it to, oh, it's just like Gateway all over again. It really isn't. It really isn't because you have owners who are committed to keeping this thing in Northeast Ohio. And that makes me happy. Okay, so I mean, I get a new stadium and it, it could end up having a retractable roof or a dome, which means it's going to open up to a lot of other situations you, you don't really have right now. It's going to mean probably better just hanging out for Browns fans on, on Sundays. And a lot of the issues right now are going to go away or they're going to change into some other sort. Okay, yeah, I like that. I like a new stadium. It's about damn time. And I don't think the Haslam's have been unreasonable with what they've asked for. So can't do it. If this is the beginning of moving somewhere else, I think that Brook Park lot, anybody that's that's driven up through Brook Park, like I used to do literally every day to come to the station, it would I mean, it 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 will sizzle in that spot. Now, and I heard I heard people get into like, well, but you know, you're so close to the the airport, you can only build so high. I guys, I'm gonna go cross-site if I start talking about that. I'm I'm trying to reduce this to the the most stark parts of the conversation we can so it doesn't become civics radio, at which point I will go cross-eyed and fall asleep. Mario, welcome to the show, Mario. What's up, Nick? Thanks, man. Um I'm gonna be I'm gonna be I'm gonna be quick right now. I just wanna say I think the traffic would be better in Brick Park because it's a it's a mess in Going into downtown on Sundays, man, it's just, it, it, I mean, an hour to get from from the stadium just to get to the freeway is ridiculous. So um, just that alone, I think it's better for Browns fans going to the stadium. And I think downtown will still be fine, man. People still going to come out and get their wings and beers and watch the Browns game on a Sunday if you're not going to the stadium. I think people just, like, want the same old thing. Like, no, let's change, like. Okay, take it to Brook Park. Like that, we're cool with that. We need a new stadium. And like you said, like, I just feel like we just hate this aluminum trash can that's been sitting there. Like, and I'm tired of it. Like, I was in Atlanta and I seen that big stadium. I was like, this is like a mothership. You know what I mean? Compared to Cleveland, when we got here, yeah, it's time for a change, man. So I'm cool with it. I think downtown will be just fine. It's, that's all I got to say. Mario, appreciate you. Uh, the one point you and I disagree with is. I, I don't think Browns fans are going to come downtown to get wings to watch a game they can watch in their house. I, I just I don't think people do that. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see a lot of people doing that. Actually, that actually is wrong. I see people doing it. I think they're just going to be going close to the stadium. Like I think you get close because I the people that I know that come downtown to do any of that other stuff but don't go to the game, they still go tailgating. I think one of the craziest things, I think Kansas City has this as well. I think Buffalo has this. There, There's a huge segment of people that just come downtown to tailgate. I don't think they're going to still come downtown if the tailgating's happening in Brook Park. I be wrong. I've been wrong before. It happens. Daryl, welcome to the show, buddy. How we doing, man? I, you know what? I hate even hearing this, to be honest with you. And you can call me a traditionalist or whatever you want to call me. But You're a traditionalist. The suburbs always win. Suburbs always win. Okay, now I'm from Cleveland, man. Born and raised, and I work in Cleveland, live in Cleveland. And it's an honor to be able to say my team resides in Cleveland. So, yeah, all of this money is going to get pushed to the Upper West Side. My city, Cleveland, where I live, downtown is going to suffer. And there's no way that that's not going to happen. So you're going to boost one side. Now we're going to be the Brook Park Browns. 
<clears throat> you know what I mean? It's just like um, the Buffalo Bills, and they're in a different city. They're not. They don't play in Buffalo. They play at Orchard Park. You know what I mean? One thing we can say about the Browns is that we're from Cleveland. Our economy is going to get hit downtown. If you're taking away the Browns, we're not talking about taking away the Indians or taking away the Cavs. We're talking about the heartbeat, the heartbeat of downtown. You're taking that away, and you're putting it somewhere in the suburbs where you're going to boost up their economy, and it's going to be bonkers over there. Say goodbye to the Muni lot. Nobody's going to come down there and party and then drive out to Brook Park for the game. No, I hate it, man. Call me a traditionalist or whatever, like I said. You're a traditionalist. Daryl, welcome. I appreciate the call, buddy. Um, I mean, I think it's uh, there's a little bit. Of, so I, I understand, and I, I do hate it for, for downtown. I do. I hate it for the lakefront, which already has its own kind of problems there. I would also say there is an elected official. If you go on the city of Cleveland website, you can get like an email or something. If you really hate it, you, you could send something along to like a local. I'm just trying to think of like a level of official, like, you know, maybe a council person. I think they have mayors, these kind of things. If you really hate it, um, it is. a. This isn't the same thing as like um, if if the the uh, what is it? The Packers moved out of Green Bay. You still have the, the Cavs. You still have the Guardians. So. I'm not. I'm not trying to say crocodile tears, but there, there's a part of me when you say, "Ah, well, the, the, the Brook Park Browns." Well, how do you think people in Medina have felt having to come downtown the whole time? How do you think people in Peninsula or Akron, like, as one team now, you have to do what 90% of Northeast Ohio also has to do? I hate it for Cleveland too, but like when it comes to the actual ramifications for Browns fans, I think you're going to love a new stadium. I think you're going to love. I think you'll love the new Muni lot. That's actually I do want to keep the municipal lot name. That's I know. Just call it the Muni lot. It's not going to be the Muni lot. I don't care. Real quick, Lou, what you got, buddy? Hey, Nick, how you doing? Doing very well. What you got? Hey, uh, uh, there was actually uh, I, I think you guys talked about it before earlier, but there was a uh, it's a, a blog North Neo Trans uh, blog. Uh, Jim Pendergrass wrote an article about this. Um, they were looking at land on Lakeside. Uh, right by Channel 3 and the FBI building. The FBI wants to move out of there. Um, but they were looking at that, and that's all city-owned land, uh, and they're, like, basically one-story buildings. Um, so that that's where uh, I thought that they were looking at. Uh, I think that's where they should put it. Where the, where the, the stadium is at now, they definitely uh, should not need to remodel it. Uh, but where the stadium is at now is the most prime land, most expensive land, in Cuyahoga County. Uh, so I think that they should uh, put it uh, da- down there and do kind of like what Minnesota did, have like ancillary stuff like, you know, uh, apartments, you know, restaurants, things like that. It, um, it, it more, people would be more willing to live in downtown Cleveland than, say, Brook Park, Ohio. Um, you know, you don't have the facilities that you have in downtown Cleveland restaurants and ancillary stuff like that. So, but, um, uh, I always thought, uh, that they were going to, that's where they were going to do it. If they were going to build a brand new stadium, but another piece they were looking at was the old post office on orange Avenue. That's like 70 acres of land that's owned by Conrail, the rail railroad company. Um, but they, they were saying that that the infrastructure was too, too far outside of downtown Cleveland. So Lou, very comprehensive breakdown. We appreciate you, buddy. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that tract of land on Lakeside, I, I know it's an option and listen, I do buy into the idea that it, 
that it's not like a closed deal here. Like I, I believe the Browns when they say there's a lot more due diligence to come. And so when it comes to other land in Cleveland that, you know, there's been talk about, is this leverage? I think there's a chance that that could be it, but I think the Brook Park thing makes too much sense. I just, I really do. Let's go. Uh, Pumpkinhead. Gus, what's up, buddy? Nick, what's up, my man? Hey, listen, um, I appreciate all Browns fans' opinions, this and that, but it's long overdue. I don't care where they put the stadium. It's got to have a roof on it, retractable dome. I don't care. It sucks sitting in the rain at 40 degrees. I know people love the snow games. Snow is a thing of the past here in December and January. We don't live in Buffalo. We need to bring more excitement, more events to the city. And I'll tell you what, as soon as they announce where this uh, this projected new stadium is, me and my family, friends, we're going to uh, buy a restaurant. We're going we're gonna to develop something. I promise I will bring a, a giant tailgate to wherever we're going. You know, this is long overdue, like I said. Um, I know people, the traditionalists, like the outside football. I, you know, I love that, too. I grew up with that. But, you know, times are changing. You know, we got to, you know, continue moving forward we've got to get a roof we've got to you know expand the 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 entire experience you know season tickets go up every single year you know i want more for my money i want more excitement i want to i want to enjoy these games so you know that's all i got to say but rest assured wherever they do put a roof on it appreciate you my guy thank you so much there uh that is uh pumpkinhead calling in uh here's here's all i'll say um I think there are a lot of people in town who are anti-dome or retractable roof. And I think that's the kind of thing you say before you get that kind of venue. And I think, I think a lot of people who are, Oh, but football's played outside will be converted about five seconds in to some of these ridiculous, beautiful stadiums they have. I, I know Indianapolis changed my mind when I went there for the first time a couple years back. We've got Kobe Altman's press conference coming up in the three o'clock hour. A lot of trades, a lot of moving parts. Uh, Marcus Morris has been traded for the uh, second time in as many days. Uh, He's now going to, I think, San Antonio, so we got that going for us. Um, The latest reports are Deonta Murray is going to be staying in Atlanta. Uh, Miles Bridges is also going to be staying in Charlotte. Those were two of the bigger dominoes, kind of actually could be impactful gets although neither were tied to the Cleveland Cavaliers. We'll see if the Cavs, with 12 minutes remaining, have anything to do or or do make a move. But we've started the show talking about the uh, significant news here, the Browns finalizing a purchase for over 175 acres of land in Brook Park. And the the Browns continue to say the right things. They've reaffirmed their commitment to Northeast Ohio. Uh, they've, they've talked about the complications of building in a, in a statement today about building a new stadium. They commended uh, the the city and mayor. They've got, uh, and they've also said like, they're you know they're they're still due diligence, meaning nothing has been finalized. And the reality is that like there's a deadline with the Browns lease, and if you're not going to renew that lease, when you have to start you know building, and if you guys haven't been kind of, or if you've been in the dark in any of this. Daryl's uh, write up for it on the website has a lot of interesting uh, nuggets. And a lot of really interesting things that kind of go into this. And I, I to, to go back, one, I would just like to point out, like the Cleveland Browns, as I am also looking for uh, the next home I'm going to live in, right? Ness and I are starting to look for that new home. I will also take any sort of offers for free or mostly free homes in local municipalities. 
I don't need 175 acres like the Browns might need. So you got a nice little five-acre land, a little four-bedroom action for 50% off. I'm just telling you to all the mayors out there, right? not you, Mayor Bibb. You missed your chance, all right? But uh, mayors in Peninsula, uh, Wadsworth, where I grew up, um, Manaway, just saying, live there now, love where I'm living, Aurora, all across Northeast Ohio, I too would like a publicly subsidized new home. Just, just throwing that out there. And mine won't cost $2 billion. Thank you very much. Low fives. That's what I'd like. And it will have a roof on it. Yeah, it will have a roof. Yeah. This one will not be retractable and, and le- unless I start bringing home M80s again like when I was 16 years old. That's neither here nor there. Never happened. Timbertop Apartments know nothing about that. It doesn't matter. We move on. Um, but as we're having this conversation, I think the model for this, and it's funny because this model is done downtown, I think the model for whatever I hope the next stadium for the Browns look like. And that, that's more important. Functionality of the stadium is more important to me than where in Northeast Ohio it's located. Because I actually believe the Haslams when they say, and, and the Browns when they say, we're, we're committed to Northeast Ohio. That's different than we're committed to the city of Cleveland or to downtown to the lakefront. It's, it's the, their, their messaging has changed kind of slightly and in the right direction. Because we got that deadline coming up, and deadlines can spur action. But I think Indianapolis is the perfect model. I think how Indianapolis has a retractable roof stadium with um, with just kind of the perfect vibe to it. I think it's a very beautiful stadium. And then I think it's connected to the Civic Center. And there's there's like three or four different kind of buildings that are connected to it. So that should you host an event like the Scouting Combine in February, you never have to go outside if you don't want to. I think that's the kind of stuff, plus putting it next to the highway, I think makes an incredible amount of... We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I'm not necessarily as crazy about domes as I am retractable roof, but either of those is better than an open-aired stadium. Sean, welcome to the show, buddy. What you got? Hey, Nick. Hey, buddy. What you got? Um, What I got is, yes, it definitely should have either a dome or retractable. I'm fine with it being in Brook Park. Everyone's saying, oh, the impact on downtown Cleveland businesses. There's eight games there a year. You know, if they move the stadium and they put some other something on the lakefront, which is, I mean, you can't build anything on a lake. Anywhere in Northeast Ohio where there's water, people build stuff on lakes. And it's very expensive and beautiful prime real estate. They'd have things 365 days a year down there and more people there in general anyways. So, yeah, I'm all for the Brook Park thing. I hate parking. That's one of the reasons why I don't like to go to games at the stadium is because parking is such a pain. I want to get off of the exit, park at the stadium, get out of my car, do what I got to do. I don't want to have to search around for parking and stuff like that. So I think it's a great idea. I also think proximity to, to from the tailgate to the stadium, I think, is another thing I'd be very interested in seeing as well. Sean, appreciate you, buddy. We're, we So we got a, a short amount of time left in this segment. So we're going to try and give as many people as we can 30 seconds at a time to get your thoughts in here. Zach, real quick, you got 30 seconds. What say you, bud? Yeah, I, 
I definitely, uh, definitely agree uh, with a lot of what people are saying. It definitely will impact Brook Park in a positive way. Um, and as I actually called in thinking it would actually negatively impact the people living downtown, I actually forget that there's a rapid station right across the street from that Ford plant. So people coming from downtown could just hop on the train like we all do to go downtown to the game. So actually, it might work. Zach, okay. appreciate you, buddy. I will say I, I, I've heard the idea of, man, could we get an extended rapids that – that pulls people out of Bainbridge and, you know, Solon and uh, South and Strongsville. I love that idea too. I don't know if that's, that would be part of it, but I love that idea too. I don't like, people have said Jimmy world. I don't like, it's too close to Jimmy eat world. I do like the house of Haslam. I did just watch the house of Usher though, a little different. So I yeah, I don't like just cause it was Jerry world in Dallas. I don't Jimmy world. Yeah. I think we got to find a better way to kind of set that up there, but great stuff from as of right now. We have uh, gotten our 150 obligatory pencils down tweets uh, from everyone. MGM did theirs. Um, and just individuals have done this. So we have officially killed that bit again this year. That's always nice to see. But as of right now, no uh, no traits are expected by the Cavaliers. Now, you never know because there's always like that weird like seven minutes after the deadline. Oh, no, we totally got this one in. Um, but really... Very few players of consequence were actually moved today. And when I say players of consequence, I mean, there were some good deals. Like, I think New York got better. And I think if there's a reason to be concerned, it is that New York, in the span of four weeks, got the missing piece in their starting lineup in OG Ananobi, who is a really underrated player in the NBA. And then today, they massively upgraded their bench. Like, Alec Burks is a really underrated piece. But the bigger part there is uh, Bogdanovich, who is a, I mean, just a really, really good sixth man. And he might not even be their sixth man. So New York got cons like considerably better today. Beyond that, like there are names. The funny thing about the NBA is like there are names that were moved, right? The, the Pacers traded Buddy Heald for uh, salaries and a couple of second round picks. And immediately I saw people, oh, I love this for him. I'm like, you mean the guy that just got benched in Indy? Because his defense is bad and he's not a good enough offensive player to live up to it. Like, okay, yeah. Like, he's okay. An okay player. But I'm just curious where you guys feel about the Cavs. As of this point, after all the Pencils Down tweets have said, uh, it doesn't look like the Cavs have made any move. 216-474-0092. Are you okay with that? Because my, my, my big thought on this is, there wasn't a trade that I thought they had to make. I think that's a good spot to be in. That's different than your roster doesn't have weaknesses. And it's funny how because they've won now 15 of 16 games with a win over Washington last night, it's funny how there's just a bunch of people who are like, yeah, of course, they don't have to make a move. They've won um, 15 of 16 games, and look at their record since December 16th. And those are valid reasons, by the way. Like, I, I do think that the Cavs are going to continue playing better than than playing worse. I don't expect them to be as bad as they were the first 30, 25 games of the year. And then, obviously, the injuries happen. So, like, the injuries are the one thing that can always change things. I expect the Cavs to be a top-four seed, and I think they're I think they have everything they need to be that. I'll also say that... The deeper you get into the playoffs, the more that you know and the more that any potential weaknesses are exposed. 
And so right now, people say, well, they've got three-point shooting. I mean, that was what killed them last year. I don't like revisionist roster analysis because, okay, that's why you didn't beat the Knicks last year. There are going to be other matchups. And listen, the big one that is obvious to point out is Boston. Boston is elite, and I mean beyond elite, where you are your weakest. So Boston has two guys that could be in and of their own rosters, elite wing players, and and alpha dogs on their own team. You don't have one of those guys. Now, in fairness, you've got two guards that are better than the guards they have. Like Donovan on that team would be just as elite as he is here. Darius Garland is a step down from that. But again, you have two more elite guards. You also, from a big perspective, Kristaps Porzingis is nice. He really is. That's a nice piece for what they do. I'd rather have Jared Allen. I'd rather have Evan Mobley. By a mile on the Evan Mobley thing. But that's a matchup where your lack of, and and I think we're putting it all on Okoro and Mobley. Good luck with that. Because there are going to be series where whether it's Evan Mobley shooting if it doesn't stick around or Isaac Okoro shooting if he goes cold, that you're going to need a third option. And honestly, it'd be better if either Evan or Isaac were were farther down the depth chart in terms of options to, to kind of lock down other wings. I think the fact that you don't know whether when Tristan comes back what he's going to give you, I think that's another clear opportunity where if you could have a – an upgrade at the backup big, even even if you thought Tristan was coming back and could be what he was, I think you can upgrade off that. Because, yeah, they've won 15 of 16. But where what counts and what you're trying to do at the deadline with respect to Keith Britton, who bleeped all over it earlier today, what, what you're trying to do is you're trying to give yourself as many different options. If you feel like you're starting five or four of your five starters – are where they need to be to win a playoff series. The next thing you do is go, okay, well, how can we give us, how can we give our ro- roster more flexibility to be as competitive in as many types of series as possible? And that's the thing I still don't know the Brown, uh, the, the Cavaliers have. It doesn't mean that they can't win. I like, I think the Cavs can win a first round series this year. I think with the way Darius and Donovan and the Bigs are playing, if Evan can keep shooting the three. Guys, I think they can win a second series. I I believe it. I think I heard Tim Legler last night say he thinks the Cavs could be in the Eastern Conference Finals this year. I agree. I think it's a could. I don't think that's the expectation. Those are two different things. But now it becomes, all right, now it becomes a lot more about matchups and a lot more about making sure that none of your four best players disappear in the playoffs. And I think... This puts a lot of pressure on these playoffs. Let's go with Adam. Welcome to the show, buddy. What you got? Hey, so I just – I'm completely okay with them not making a move, and I, I really didn't even expect them to anyways. Um, I think the chemistry that they have built together and now still bringing um, Garland and Mobley back into it, and even more so, they developed this brand of basketball that they're doing very, very well at playing in. And everybody's kind of a key piece into all of that. So I, I get maybe upgrading, you know, a bench player for a backup center would be okay, but I wouldn't want to lose any of the pieces that we have. I, w- I don't want to disturb the chemistry at all. And I think um, they're showing that, you know, the brand of basketball that they've adopted is really working. And they're not going to win, you know, 15 of 16 on all this, you know, many times, but, you know, it's put them in position to be confident with everybody. 
and I think that that's that's perfect right now. So as they stand, I, I want them to stand pat and you know see what this thing leads to. Adam, let me ask you: How much of that? How much of your take is influenced by the fact that they've won a fifteen of sixteen? Well, of course. I mean, it's not that they've won fifteen of sixteen, but just their record and being number two in the East for the entire season. There were some growing pains a little bit at the beginning of the season, but. They worked through it, and like I said, you know, they've now developed their brand of basketball and how they're going to play, and it's it's working really well, and it, and they're being very successful. And overall, um, I, I just don't think that you you need to add any other pieces. Adam, appreciate you, buddy. Thank you so much. Adam giving us a call there, 216-474-0092. Uh, if you would like to give us your thoughts on the Cavs of the deadline, uh, so far my favorite take of the deadline, and this always happens at the deadline when Team X says that player Y is untouchable, and then you read the name of the player and you realize like there's no reason that player should be untouchable. Um, I I don't know who hell Jay Cowley is, which is probably uh, Joe Cowley, who apparently is a basketball writer for Basketball News or something like that, had said the uh, the Bulls have made Alex Caruso untouchable in trade talks. I, I I don't know. I like how do you even approach that conversation with another GM? Hey, we can talk about DeRozan. We can talk about Vucevic. We can talk about Patrick Williams or Kobe White. But so help me God, you bring up the name Alex Caruso, and I'm dropping the phone. We are not talking the rest of this day. Like, hey guys, uh Ty Jerome, untouchable. Don't even call about him. Uh, Sam Merrill, if you mention the name Sam Merrill. I will block your number, and I will never call you back again. You, you, there will be a trade embargo for the next five years if you mention Sam Merrill. So help me God, you call about Isaac Okoro, and I will get you banished from the NBA. You will now be playing in Euro, the Euro Leagues if you call about Isaac Okoro. Okay, yeah, he's, he's, a good, he's a good role player. Maybe not as good without a guy named LeBron, but okay. Easy there, Chicago. Eric, welcome to the show, buddy. What you got for us? Hey, how's it going? Doing, um, doing very well. Thank so, you. I don't. I don't know that I agree with your your thought that we lost because of three point shooting last year. I think we just got punked last year. Like we got out tough. You look at the rebound stats for last year, and Jared Allen and uh, Mobley were just absent. So, like, I, I keep hearing this narrative over and over again that we lost because of three point shooting. And I don't know that I agree with that. Yeah, the Cavs are playing really, really well right now. But I don't know that we ever really fix that unless you think Tristan Thompson's that guy that can mix it up on the inside and go get us the boards when it matters. So I actually will agree with you. I think it is overly simplistic to say a lack of three-point shooting. I also think it's a overly simplistic to say it was just that he got punked. I think both things happen. I don't... I don't think JB did anything to develop his bench last year. And when I say develop bench, I mean get those guys confident in the role they needed him to. And because of that, that you played seven men, you had very few cards to play. And on top of it, on the uh, offensive side of the ball, they did bully you. So I, I agree with you, but I think it's both things. And I think at least one of those things has been fixed. But the bullying thing does kind of scare me going into these playoffs because there are going to be teams like – there are going to be teams that are going to do that to you, and I don't know we're any closer to knowing how Evan or Jarrett or your guards are going to respond in that exact same situation. So well, what I mostly really, agree. 
what really concerns me, if you remember back to that Knicks series, basically the Knicks just shoved everybody in the lane and said, all right, Darius, Mitchell, whoever, go ahead and shoot your outside shots. We ain't letting you in the lane because we know Allen and Mobley can't shoot a three. Uh, like, I, they just clogged up the lane and killed us. That's why I think the so, key this year. I, just, real, I have real, some serious real, reservations. So I think that's why it's so important that Evan keeps shooting the threes now. Unless they did something that we didn't see coming, which was going to be a surprise at the deadline. Like a trade for a, a wing that would kind of move the needle. Unless they did something like that, which would require giving up a lot. There wasn't a lot the, uh, the Cavs could do. Change their biggest remaining questions. And even then, even if they did make that trade... We'd get excited, but we'd still probably say, well, are they going to show up in the playoffs, right? Can J.B. Bickerstaff, can J.B. Bickerstaff kind of corral this team and lead this team to a playoff win? And I think one thing that, that that's still my big concern here is I think they've got the guys. I think Donovan is exquisite. I think Darius, to this point, is underrated for how he has adapted with uh, kind of the evolution of himself playing next to Donovan. I think Evan Mobley, like, I, I, I'm i going to reference this. I'm not trying to call out another member of this station. I would never do that. But, like, the Evan Mobley conversation about three-point shooting, man, has that gone one-sided real damn quick. <laughs> like, I, if you're still saying, I don't want him shooting threes today – after what he's seen the last four games, I don't know what we're talking about anymore because he's been doing pretty darn good. So, like, I think he got the guys. I'm excited to see if if the Jared Allen can be more of a force in a, in a playoff series this year than he was last year. But overall, my big questions remain the same. The only thing, the only answer I don't like, the only excuse I don't like to not make a move at the deadline is, well, J.B. Biggerstaff already has trouble playing the guys that he has. That bugs me. Not making a move at the deadline. And again, I'm not saying that's what the Cavs did. I'm just saying like that rebuttal about the Cavs making a deal, it fundamentally upsets me. Because then you've got a coaching problem. If you don't trust the coach to play the guys and to keep a, a tight rotation or to to use more of a lax rotation, which I don't with JB, that's one of my two biggest questions. If you don't, it's a big concern. When we did acquire Donovan, we wanted to make sure, to your point of level setting the expectation, that it wasn't championship or bust. Certainly not last year. And it's not this year either. But we do think that we have the talent level to compete with the best. I think we've shown that we had, you know, this year and last year, was able to compete with the best teams in the league. And we're doing that now. We're still young. You know, obviously, playoff experience is something that we need to add to this group and, and go further, you know what I mean, a past first round or rounds of the playoffs. Those are really hard. The NBA is really difficult. The parity is difficult, but we feel we're right in the mix of some of the best teams in the world right now, and we're going to continue to compete for that. At some point, if this organization is going to get serious about winning, and this I don't mean this to be a, a, a knock on Kobe and what he just said there, because I, I do think the Cavs are not championship or bust yet, but at some point, you're either, you're either growing or you're dying in the NBA, and the Cavs did a bulk of their work to to repair this roster in in free agency over the summer, and Kobe pointed that out. You know the the, the kind of reasons for not making a deadline deal were uh, we're really comfortable with where we are right now, and kind of pointed to the recent success of the team, but also talked about the amount of talent that they have and the fact that he feels like they're ten deep right now, which I think most Cavs fans would agree with. So that 
kind of kicks back to JB, keep those 10 guys kind of engaged. That's not what he was saying. That's what I'm inferring, or that's what I'm saying is important. Uh, but also talked about things like expectations. And, you know, the Cavs have run from expectations, and Kobe has run from expectations. Last year, ah, no, we're not championship or bust. Let's see. Well, I think last year, I think really changed the math for the Cavs. Because if last year they had made it, if they had just looked like an acceptable playoff team in the first round of the playoffs, even if they didn't get to the second round of the playoffs, I think we'd be thinking differently about where this team is and what they do best, what they can do best, and their ability to compete in the East. But let's say they had won that first round series and then topped out in the second round. That would change the math and the pressure that involves this year. And I think there is, and I think there should be, an incredible amount of pressure on the Cavs to deliver on on the expectations. Like, all due respect to what Kobe said there. Well, it's you know really tough to win in the NBA. Yeah, yes it is. But what what tends to matter in the NBA and what helps that pressure and what helps that difficulty is who has talent. And one through ten, the Cavs have as much talent as anybody in the NBA. And even though Boston, I think this could be Boston's year, I think Boston had uh, – I thought the Cavs had a, a decent offseason. I thought Boston, in their acquisitions of guys like Drew Holiday and Chris Epps Porzingis, had a lethally good offseason. And so I I think the tough thing is, like, if you were in the Western Conference, guys, you could be the number one seed. And they, they got a couple teams that already have more wins than you. Um, but, like, the point is – I think you have as, as much talent as OKC or as Minnesota. Looks different, but I think you're loaded with talent. Both you've got your four best players and then the six guys after them. So this year to me is, and I don't need Kobe to say, well, it's, we got to win a championship. That's not re- That doesn't need to be the reality this year. But in terms of when he kind of went, well, you know, if you could win a playoff series or two, I don't like when organizations shy away from saying things like we expect to compete for a, for an Eastern Conference championship. I I that is not my expectation, but that is my goal. And that should be the Cavs goal this year. While there are, I mean the the top 7 teams, although it maybe top 8 if we're including Miami cuz really I'm kind of just swapping Orlando and Miami even though right now uh, Miami's the 8 seed, but there are 8 really good teams in the East. And if you if you hyper focus on the top six, I'll be honest with you. I think the Knicks might still be a team that goes out in the second round of the playoffs. They're just it's just going to look a lot better because I think they're as deep as they've been in a really long time. But I don't know because they don't have a Kevin Durant, they don't have a Jalen Brown or a Jason Tatum, they don't have a Giannis. I think that's going to limit their ability to win consistently deep into the playoffs. You have that. Like, it doesn't matter that Donovan is the 15th best player in the NBA versus the 10th best player. You have one of the 15 best players in the NBA. I don't know that I look at the Knicks and say that. I don't, honestly, I love Tyrese Halliburton. He's a hell of a player. Uh, Pascal Siakam, phenomenal fit for them. Indianapolis has a lot of talent. Indiana has a lot of talent. I don't know that they've got a player better than Donovan Mitchell. So I'm, I'm torn between... Yeah, you can't just go ahead and expect the moon. You can't go ahead and say, oh, well, it's Eastern Conference title or bust.
But at some point, you are going to have to put your you-know-whats on the table and say, hey, it's time. We've This thing has been building to this, and it's time. And this year feels like a logical place to start. And a lot of that is informed by the fact that they let everybody down last year. But this year, it is put-up-or-shut-up time. That's not championship or bust. It's not even Eastern Conference finals or bust. But I would have... Uh, one thing I would have liked to hear a little bit more, just a little bit more definitive language on, yes, we have expectations. You don't have to share them. But, yeah, yeah. we Last year, and, and the, the thing that kind of informs some of my take here is that Kobe was talking about, well, we're still young. We still need more playoff experience. A lot of the NBA right now has less uh, – the o- Oklahoma City Thunder has less playoff experience than you do. Minnesota has about as much playoff experience as you do. You start to look in your own conference. Indiana has a little bit less playoff experience than you do as currently constructed. Even the Knicks, like, yeah, they've they've got guys who are veterans, but like last year they got one more series than you because of last year and beating you. So you're not really that young anymore. So I, I... Again, it's not championship or bust. It's not Eastern Conference Finals or bust. It is put up or shut up time for the Cleveland Cavaliers. So if they can go get a body on the buyout deadline, or sorry, after the buyout deadline, and you can add somebody, um, I think you should do it. And then it's on J.B. Bickerstaff to prove he is deserving of this roster. We finally actually have a chance to talk just kind of normally. It's been kind of a hectic day. We played uh, Kobe Altman's press conference earlier in the 3 o'clock hour. We're going to have some of that later in the show in the 5 at 5 uh, Danny Cunningham and I will talk some more Cavs coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. He's going to be joining us in, in roughly an hour. So with all this kind of going on, we've got uh, the, the Cavs at the deadline. They didn't do a damn thing. We've got the NBA trade deadline in, in general. Uh, step back, the, the Lakers did nothing either. That's actually something we probably should get into later in the show. We've got the uh, news about the Brook Parkland for the Cleveland Browns. What does that mean? Will the Browns truly move outside this the the, the downtown municipality of Cleveland? Uh, would they really do that? I think we're all starting to believe they really would. I actually felt like it's fait accompli for a hot minute. Um, I mean, that's not even just political. It just kind of makes sense. That piece of land is just kind of perfect for what teams are looking for to build that stadium. So we got that going on. We got NFL honors tonight. And I have – I don't – I. I think it's because of the way the Browns lost. I'm pretty ambivalent to what's going to happen. Like if Miles wins Defensive Player of the Year, I'll be very happy for him, and I'll be happy because that is a that is a feather in your cap when we start talking about um, going to the Hall of Fame. And that's I want that for Miles because that is that is as is uh, not just because for the Browns to be your second Hall of Famer um, uh, from the '99 on era. Because I want it for Miles. I think he deserves all those accolades for what a damn good football player he is. But like Stefanski, as head coach of the year, if he gets his second one, uh, it's probably going to drive up the price a little bit with that contract extension. Jim Schwartz as uh, the assistant of the year. Joe Flacco, though he said he doesn't want it, as the comeback player of the year. Um, I'm, 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 I'm vaguely interested, but I'm not all that tied to it, mostly because it's been about... Uh, a month since the Houston loss, and I'm still not over it. But with Super Bowl 58 coming up this weekend, I mean, this is probably the coolest thing to me. I know the legacy stuff gets te- the tedious stuff because we 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 skip levels. 
Like we either we it's a yes or no thing. Like is Pat Mahomes the goat if he wins on Sunday? And the reality is, you have different levels. It's like it's like the quarterbacks tiers thing versus are you a top five quarterback? Right? Like there's more nuance required. But specifically from the Kansas City thing, well, okay, actually specifically from the San Francisco thing, I think Kyle Shanahan getting his first ring would be huge. I think speaking of Hall of Fame candidacy, Christian McCaffrey being the best player offensively on a championship team that uh, that that wins the, the Super Bowl plus the Shanahan connection, I think it could mean huge things for his eventual Hall of Fame case. Um, there are other guys like Trent Williams winning it. I, I think the world of Trent Williams is somebody who loves O-line play. Everybody else, I'm kind of ambivalent. San Francisco, you've your, your fans had your run. I'm not... Don't cry for me, Argentina. Okay, if you lose, you lose. I don't really care. Kansas City, though, I think it's fascinating. Like, I think everybody's thinking about the legacy game with Pat Mahomes. And, yeah, he's going to gain a lot by getting that third championship should that happen on Sunday. But does anybody in this game have more to to benefit from legacy-wise than Andy Reid? You know, I i mean, we talked about Andy Reid, uh, was it last week, I think? And we got into the conversation, and I said, I, I would already take him over Belichick because Andy has had a tougher road to hoe. He's had to win across 25 years with two different franchises. He's he's gone to the playoffs with, I, I think right now we're at five or six different quarterbacks. And it wasn't just, well, he had Donovan McNabb and he had Pat Mahomes. He, he won a butt ton with Alex Smith. He won with Kevin Cobb. He won with Michael Vick. I can't remember if the Nick Foles thing was him or whether that was the first year of Chip Kelly, but like all Andy Reid has done is win at an incredibly high level. And to the people who are like, well, but he never won anything without Mahomes. Yeah, and, and Bill Belichick never won anything without Tom Brady. The difference is Andy Reid was in the playoffs a lot before Pat Mahomes. Bill Belichick went to the playoffs twice in the nine or 10 years without Tom Brady. So I think a third ring for Andy Reid, and and this is just the start of the conversation, I think it catapults him into that that ring for other people. I, I would take him over Belichick, but I think it, it, it puts him in the conversation with Joe Gibbs, elite, great, all-time great. I think it puts him in there with all other coaches that have three rings, and I think you can make a case that because he's done that and taken two separate teams to the Super Bowl, that you could make a case of him being a top-five coach of all time. When I say you, I'm talking about people who aren't me. I'd already put him there. But I, I think I think this would mean huge things for the legacy of Andy Reid. Mahomes, I guess, my, I guess the, the reason why I'm not thinking that way with Mahomes is I think because Brady won seven and they he won in two different times or sorry two different uh, teams, I I think that is a huge ask. I, now, I do think he catapults to that next tier under, um, under Tom Brady, and I think that's where that conversation begins. Two one six four seven four double oh nine two. Whose legacy? benefits most from a Super Bowl win on Sunday, Andy Reid or Pat Mahomes. And I want to just point out, like, it's not, is Pat Mahomes the GOAT? Because I think with a win, I actually think he leaps over uh, Joe Montana. And that's a that's a big thing for me. Like, when I was a little kid, 
Um, I I was the biggest Browns fan on the planet, but my older brother was just a huge. I remember him talking about Joe Montana a lot. And so, like, if my older brother, eight years older than me, if he thought Joe Montana was the best quarterback in the NFL, then by God, uh, six-year-old Nick Wilson, Joe Montana was the best quarterback in the NFL. And so, I I, I think Joe has been forgotten unfairly a little bit here. And I think if you look at the rise of the NFL, there was. It is it is really tough to calculate how how huge Joe Montana was on in this I almost said on this planet um, in this country in the eighties and early nineties. But I think Joe's going to have him. I think I think Joe went to either ten or eleven conference championships, but but Joe stopped at the three titles. So you're already going to have matched on titles at twenty eight, and I just see no reason that Pat Mahomes isn't going to continue doing what he's doing. Like with Brady, and maybe maybe this is the Brady of it, right? Where like maybe I'm just thinking like, well, hey, Brady had a first act and a second act and a third act. And I mean, Pat won his first trio of championships as early as possible. I think the other thing is, I think next year a championship for the Chiefs would be bigger for Mahomes anyways. Because next year you'd be the first guy to win three championships in a row. And I honestly don't think anyone's done it. Not just now off the top of my head, I was trying to think. I think some teams have come close to winning it three times in a row. But, like, each story, each team is a different narrative. Like, last year was a rebuilding team for Kansas City, and they won the championship. This year, it's easily the worst weapons Pat Mahomes has worked with. And next year... Being the first to win three in a row, I, I th- and then getting to four, I think in in everybody's eyes, all of a sudden Pat Mahomes becomes the true heir apparent to the goat. That doesn't mean he's the goat, but all of a sudden you're looking for things of well, how can you build a a legacy that is different than what Tom Brady does, and different than what uh, that Joe Montana does, and different for what Terry Bradshaw did, and different for what any other potential. Um, goat player, <laughs> so stupid. A uh, greatest player of all time would have. So it's a big one, by the way. Getting your third championship. It sounds like I'm I'm overlooking it. Nah, I I think when it comes to legacy points this year specifically, I think Andy Reid has the most of anybody in this game to to kind of gain, especially if he walks off. But I would imagine you win this year. I would imagine Andy wants to be the first head coach to win him three in a row since I actually think – I can't remember. The Browns' initial championships are blurry to me because I was not here. Um, I was negative uh, 40 when it happened. But I want to say the last coach to win three straight AFC, uh, sorry, AFC, uh, NFL titles in a row, I, I think it was Paul. I think it was the first three years in the NFL. So you want to talk about he also has a lot to gain next year. But I think Andy's number one when it comes to the the legacy conversation. I don't even think Pat Mahomes is number two. Because I think Kyle Shanahan, I, I already think there's people in football who think Kyle Shanahan's one of the three best quarterbacks, <laughs> three best head coaches in the NFL. But because he doesn't have a ring, it holds him back in that convo. I think Shanahan wins it. I think you're going to see him leapfrog Tomlin and Harbaugh and pretty much anybody that isn't Andy Reid in the way people think about him. And he'll be right there with Sean McVay. So I think I think Kyle Shanahan 
has as much to get has the second most to gain legacy wise here. And then with Mahomes, I think it becomes a lot of really interesting players. Like I think Kelsey, it's I don't know how people have forgotten a guy by the name of Rob Gronkowski existed, but like I've already heard people all this week say, well, he's the tight end goat. Ah, I mean, his run is now, I think his run is, his peak is a little bit, either a little bit longer or the same kind of run as Gronk. I don't know how you choose between Gronk and Kelsey, but a third championship in four years would help. You go to um, Chris Jones. I think Chris Jones is one of the most criminally underrated players in the NFL. Getting two titles over a guy by the name of Nick Bosa, I think we're talking legitimate, no bleep, legacy points for Chris Jones. And then there is, like, Nick Bosa's got pretty much every feather in the cap for the Hall of Fame, except a picture hoisting the Lombardi. 216-474-0092. Whose legacy benefits the most from a Super Bowl win on Sunday? Andy Reid or Pat Mahomes? Uh, Vince on Twitter, by the way, uh, local legend, Vince saying, uh, Vince Lombardi won the first two Super Bowls and won the NFL championship the year before that. He is the last to win three titles in a row. Think about that. I All this is, I also really, 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 and I don't think I said really enough, I really like Andy Reid. A win for Andy Reid is a win for other hefty fellows who like cheeseburgers and Hawaiian T-shirts. There's a report out of WIP in Philadelphia about the Phillies' interest in Guardians closer Emmanuel Classe. And it is my it's we've now reached within within about 7 days. We've reached my absolute favorite two things I get to hear from baseball media. And the first report uh by by Howard Eskin of WIP was that the Phillies were really interested in Emmanuel Classe. They are going to be adding at least one more starter and a reliever, but that the Guardians asked for their number three prospect, Justin Crawford, who's a young outfielder, I think last year played at the high A level. And the Phillies just just don't seem really like they'd be willing to part for him. And I really love baseball reporting where it's like, team really interested in great player. Team unwilling to pay the price to get a really good player. Like, guys, I think we all go to the garage sale to haggle over whether you're going to pay $5 for that vinyl or whether you're going to pay 6 bucks for it. That's expected. But this, this line of thinking in baseball, and it is big market hubris. Not that I'm accusing Howard of that, but maybe the Phillies of that. The big market hubris is, well, why don't you just give us your player at the price we deem? Because that's not how this works, Jack. And the reality is, I, I, here's where, and this is not me riding the fence. The Guardians should trade Emmanuel Classe if they get the kind of holy crap offer they deserve for Emmanuel Classe. And if you're not willing, and Justin Crawford is, I think, the, the, the 72nd, no, 77th ranked prospect in all of baseball. He's also their number three prospect. So if you're not willing to give any of the top three prospects and you're not going to give an immediate impact bat for your team for two years ago, the best closer in baseball, and last year still one of the most electric closers in baseball, well, that's cool. You can go ahead and go to the uh, garage uh, the garage uh, sale down the road and see if you can pick up knickknacks and all the little things there at the right price that you want to. 
I'll say this. Even if it's to me, it's all predicated on what the offer you get. I love watching Emmanuel Classe pitch. And what is so unique is I think he is the most electric closer in baseball. Even like last year, blew a lot of saves. I think he's the most electric closer in baseball. And I know everybody makes the, because of the cut fastball, everybody makes the Mariano Rivera thing. I don't care about that. The dude throws a cut fastball that's 101 miles an hour. And so to watch him is a lot of fun. And to watch a great player in your town is fun. I don't think, even when, let's say the Guardians do the unthinkable, and let's say they contend this year. Let's say it's like uh, uh, two years ago all over again. Steven votes first year. They just hit the ground running. Let's say the lineup takes care of itself. I still don't think you need an elite closer. And what makes Emmanuel Classe so valuable is that he is under a team-friendly deal through 2028. So if the Phillies don't want to pay Jesse Crawford, that's cool, man. You don't have to. You can get somebody that is half as good and twice as expensive. If uh, the Toronto Blue Jays don't want to give you uh, three of their top prospects, including somebody that will be an immediate impact player next year, that's really cool, man. You don't you don't have to trade for Manuel Classe. You can overpay for a much more um, functionally irrelevant player. But that so that's my first thing of like, well, Team X loves player Y, but just I mean the price for them. Um, the other thing is the report by John Morosi earlier this week where it was the uh, the fact that Guardians closer Emmanuel Classe is drawing trade interest from multiple teams, but a, t- uh, but a deal uh, appears unlikely. And then you get the complaints that we continue to get from the from, – and here's the thing. It's not just opposing front offices. It's now Guardians fans about the price the Guardians set for their own players. I've, it's the first time in my life I've seen Guardians fans say, well, you can lessen the price if it's a good deal. What? No, like, listen, I want uh, Chernetti, I want Antonetti and Chernoff pissing off every other front office in baseball because they have a high standard for their players. Because if you whiff on a trade or if you sell low on a player, hey, guys, you don't have the Yankees funds to go back and make up or make good in free agency. And the only way that you replenish that talent pool is if you continue to draft well and that could take a year or two before the right person comes along. So, like, hypothetically, I'd really love the Guardians to save $13 million and find a great deal for, for Shane Bieber where you get a player that can help your, your lineup and Shane Bieber goes somewhere he'll sign a long-term extension. But I'm not going to give Shane Bieber away. So I think the Guardians are actually sitting as pretty as you possibly can coming off an incredibly disappointing year. I think they have two talents that, given the lack and the dearth of really good pitching talents from the starting rotation, and given the lack of really good affordable closers, I think you're sitting pretty if your if your options are we either keep a former Cy Young contender and uh, another potential future Cy Young contender in Emmanuel Classe and Shane Bieber, or if you trade them, it's because somebody overpaid for them. I think that's kind of right where they want to be. I like Justin Crawford a lot, by the way. That kid can hit the hell out of a ball. I It would be nicer if he could hit it farther. Yeah, he had about three home runs last year. I'll, I, can I get a guy with a zero after the three? Because that would be really nice. But, yeah. yeah. Philly fans, piss off. Sorry. Somebody needs to say that. You, you want my guy? 
make me an offer. Make me a Godfather offer, not a garage sale offer. 216-474-0092. Are you guys okay? It, like if, if, if it came out tomorrow, the Guardians would trade Emmanuel Classe. Do we still trust the Guardians front office the way that we did two years ago when we said, well, hey, don't want to trade Frankie Lindor, but I trust that front office. I think last year challenged that principle for a lot of people, not for me. One bad year does not unmake a decade of really smart, really intentional moves by this front office. Oh, spring training, by the way, right around the, the corner here for the Gardos. We got the Super Bowl this weekend. Our next guest is out in Vegas. God bless him. God bless I, I Albert, do you know what day? Albert Brewer joins us on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Do you know what day it is? <laughs> um, yeah, one day closer to me going home from here. That's also that's pretty fair. <laughs> Um, so I got. So, what are the early reviews of the NFL's first Super Bowl in Las Vegas? I mean, it's fine. I, I don't think. You know, I, I actually like sort of had the idea that this might be like New Orleans, and, and I mean in a way that like New Orleans is able to absorb uh, people and absorb crowds and absorb the high hysteria, and it doesn't seem like when you're in New Orleans. Um, they don't seem overwhelmed by anything. You know, you don't get the, uh, I've used this term with you guys before, the 10 pounds of you-know-what and the five-pound bag effect that you do in a lot of season Super Bowls are there. So I thought because of this city's um, experience hosting big events and because of the amount of hotel rooms, that maybe they would absorb the event just like uh, New Orleans. I was wrong about that. I mean, the traffic was horrific last night. And um, I think this is going to be, Probably a messy few days, but uh, but in a lot of ways it, it is built for it, and there's a lot that um, there's a lot of thing a lot of things here that um, where when you look at the way the city's set up, it you know it lends itself to big events. Albert, I do want to get back to the Super Bowl in a minute, but I saw you quote tweet the Browns press release from earlier today, uh, kind of in relation to their uh, recent land purchases and the stadium yep. future. What what were your big takeaways, or what were your big takeaway from that? Well, my biggest takeaway without question was that um, the whole thing about, like, multi-use or whatever it was. You guys know the term. I I don't have it in front of me. Whatever it was, it was something about finding a way to to, to bring different events to Cleveland. And um, to me, that screams dome, you know. And this sort of feels similar to, and I don't know how you guys, how familiar familiar you guys are with it, but the land deal in Chicago and um, how the Bears bought land out in the suburbs. And it was very clearly done with the idea of, you know, building stuff around the stadium, building the stadium itself and putting a roof over the stadium so it could potentially host Super Bowls and Final Fours and all of those things. And so, you know, when you when you see some of those buzz terms in, in, in a press release, um, and this is about, you know, attracting big events to the Cleveland area, um, I think you can – probably bet that that means that if they do build a new stadium out there it will be with a roof over it albert do you think that there's a middle market size area that has pulled off something like this that cleveland should try and emulate when thinking of a new stadium for the browns i mean i try to think guys like you I mean as far as just like being able to attract big events consistently yeah, or like the multi-use stadium and kind of how things are I mean, Indianapolis has done a nice job with it, I would say, right? Like, is that a fair comp? Yeah. Like, you know, Indianapolis has got all the convention space, and they're sort of, 
you know, right in the middle of the country. And, um, you know, so I think Indianapolis, they have the Big Ten title game there. They've had national championship game there. They've had Final Four there. Um, they've obviously had the Super Bowl there once. And, you know, Super Bowl actually, I would say the Super Bowl there was better than it's been in Vegas, um, believe it or not, you know, um, just logistically and how the whole thing was set up. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's you know, the, the, that, that would be the example um, the issue with that, of course, is that like Indianapolis, like it took years and years and years for Indianapolis to build up to that. And, you know, having the big, um, having the big events, um, the big convention events, you know what I mean? Like the big business events and then sort of parlaying that into sports and entertainment is, is sort of how it worked there. But I guess Indianapolis would probably be the model if you're talking about like a mid, mid-sized Midwestern city. Albert, the Browns have never played in a Super Bowl. They have never hosted a Super Bowl, which I believe makes them one of 32 teams in the NFL to have uh, either of those things, or sorry, neither of those things. Would a Super Bowl in Cleveland ever be a real possibility? I mean, I think they would get one. Um, you know, if they built a new stadium, I, I think if they put a roof on it, um, the same way Detroit got one, at the Silverdome, then got one at Ford Field, the same way Minnesota got one at the Metrodome, and then one at U.S. Bank Stadium, I think they would get one. Um, and it's, you know, generally that happens. is sort of a payback to the region for building um, a stadium. The NFL will do that. Um, it's much harder to host multiple Super Bowls or be in the, in the rotation. And, you know, if you look at, like, the cities that have new stadiums now, in Miami just renovated – Dallas has a new stadium. They haven't been able to get in the rotation. They, they, they wanted to initially, but they sort of backed off on that. And the first Super Bowl didn't go great there. Um, you know, Arizona Stadium is less than 20 years old. Uh, Vegas' stadium is new. L.A.'s stadium is new. Um, San Francisco is now going to get a second Super Bowl, and their stadium is not very old. Uh, it's, it's tough to crack into the rotation. So do I think they would get one Super Bowl? Yeah, they probably get one Super Bowl. Do I think that they get multiple Super Bowls? It's much, much harder to envision that. Albert, as far as the actual Cleveland Browns go, instead of all the stadium talk, the actual football team, um, with Bill, do you think that there was any reason other than family that Bill Callahan left the Browns for Tennessee? I mean, I think it was family first and foremost. I don't think he leaves unless there's that special circumstance out there um, with with uh, with, it, with his son Brian getting the head coaching job in, in Nashville and, and having the opportunity to coach with his son. That said, I mean, I think it is fair to ask the question um, if Alex Van Pelt had still been there, if Stump Mitchell had still been there, if that staff had still been there, would it have been a little bit harder for Bill Callahan to leave? I think that might be fair. Um, you know, he's obviously older. He's obviously very accomplished and um, you know, and, and, and I think that offensive staff did a lot of great things last year. We've talked about playing with four different quarterbacks, winning with four different quarterbacks, um, winning with your fourth and fifth tackles, winning without Nick Chubb. Um, it probably would have been a little harder for Bill Callahan to say goodbye to Cleveland um, if all those guys were back. I think maybe what it did was it made it, you know, it effectively maybe made it a little easier when, you know, his sons, you know, came to him and, 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 and asked him, to walk away because what is he leaving now? He's leaving Kevin Stefanski, who I know um, they've got a very good relationship. So I'm sure that wasn't easy, but then on the offensive side, I mean, you're talking about, you know, starting over all together. So, um, you know, again, like I think it's just made it easier for, for, for Bill Callahan to make the decision to go. 
Albert, I have no frame of reference for the new offensive yeah. line coach here, Alex Dickerson. I yeah. have I have I've hired Andy, like, by the way. So you did show uh, how little frame of reference you have. <laughs> I was thinking about the former Pirates first baseman and outfielder and Padres. So how about Andy Dickerson? What can you tell me about him? Um, yeah, he's really well respected. You know, he's done a good job in Seattle. If you look at like what they did um, the last few years in developing the young tackles, Charles Cross, Nate Lucas, um, a really good run game. You know, and then he's steeped in sort of the McVay system, having seen that system from the ground floor. You know, he was the assistant O-line coach with the Rams when um, when those guys came aboard back in 2017. So, um, you know, from the standpoint of getting to see it um, and, and see that system on its way up in Los Angeles and then getting to move into an elevated role and, and help build a run game and help develop tackles, be the lead guy and those sorts of things in Seattle. Um, I think he's as prepared as anybody to replace Bill Callahan. Again, it's not going to be easy. Um, Callahan's probably the most respected line coach in the league over the last 20 years. Um, but if you're looking for a young guy who's got a chance to do it, I think Andy behind that list. Albert, do you think Sunday could be Andy Reid's last game on the sidelines? I don't think so. Um, now, I, like, I, I'm, I don't want to say that I'm speaking with a ton of authority on that, but if you talk to enough people, um, talk to enough people and in Kansas City, and, and uh, you know, you kind of look into the way he's operated. You just see a guy who's still passionate about it, a guy who obviously has Patrick Mahomes. Um, you know, somebody there said to me that when you pull into the parking lot, it doesn't matter how early you get Andy Reid's car is going to be there. And when you leave at night, it doesn't matter how late you're leaving, Andy Reid's car is going to be there. Um, there's still tremendous passion for the job. Um, and there's an opportunity to keep winning championships with Patrick Mahomes there. So, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of things that have gone on in his life in the last few years. And obviously, he's 65 years old, so he's not getting any younger. Uh, but the people who are there don't see him retiring after this year, win or lose on Sunday. Albert, whose legacy, any of the players, any of the coaches, anybody involved on Sunday, whose legacy grows the most with a win on Sunday? I would say Kyle Shanahan probably, right? Because I think, you know, obviously Mahomes would go into three Super Bowls from two, but he's going to have more cracks at this. Um, you know, I think with Kyle Shanahan, if you if you look at it and look at the two possible conclusions here, it's either two two Super Bowls, four, um, four NFC title game appearances in the last five years and no rings to show for it, versus four conference title games, two Super Bowls, and capped with a championship at the end of it. I mean, I, I, I think that the way people would digest one versus the other are very, very different. Um, and a much bigger difference than, you know, whether or not Mahomes has two or three rings when we get to, to Sunday night. So um, I'd say Kyle Shanahan's probably the one with the most on, on the line from a legacy standpoint. If the Niners don't win, so if this doesn't improve Shanahan's legacy, do you think it's time to start talking about if they'll ever get it done? Yeah, I mean, I think Kyle's such a good coach and they're such a good organization right now that they're going to continue to create opportunities for themselves. Um, but winning a championship is a really hard thing, you know? So, and, and this particular group, um, again, I think the window is going to be open for as long as Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are running the team. But this particular group of players 
if you look at the way that it it's set up, um, the highest cap number on the team, guys, is twelve and a half million dollars, and they have, I think it's nine players in the roster who are making fourteen and a half million per year or more. So they're fairly mortgaged. They have a lot of things coming up down the line where it doesn't mean everybody's going to be gone, but the roster could look pretty different in two or three years. So this is going to be one of the last shots with this particular group of players. And I think that obviously puts pressure on a lot of people because it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to create a group of players like the one they have right now, where, I mean, you're talking about eight, nine, 10 people who are, who are all pro level guys. All right, Albert, we can get you out of here on a two for one Super Bowl prediction Two. Uh, Bill O'Brien or Chip Kelly, who would you rather have as OC in Columbus? <laughs> um, well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll say I'll go to the Chiefs. I just can't. I'm at the point where I can't pick against Mahomes. That's all. Um, and it's as much as anything else because you get to the end of these games, and even if he hasn't played well and his team hasn't played well, he can still throw on the cape and win. And we saw that the last time these two teams played in the Super Bowl. So I think the Niners are a great team, not a good team, a great team. I just in this. In this sort of on this sort of stage, I I have a really hard time seeing where um, where Mahomes isn't going to come through, and that doesn't mean he might not lose thirty four thirty one because he left the field with the lead and and the defense you know defense let up a touchdown in the last minute of the game. Something like that's possible, but it's really really hard to bet against. Um, it's really really hard to bet against Patrick on this stage. Um, and then the second piece, I, I would say, I'd be happy with either of those guys. I really would. I like both those guys. They're both smart. They're both um, both really good offensive minds. Um, so I, I think either of those guys would be great, you know. And I can understand why Bill O'Brien would want to take another crack at being a head coach. And the fact that it could happen where his family's living and where he's from in Boston is probably the reason why he'd consider leaving Ohio State after, well, what's it been a month, something like that. Um, that's, you know, the one scenario where it's pretty understandable. Albert, you're the best, buddy. Enjoy Vegas for us since we're not out there. And remember to hydrate for the love of God. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Albert Breer there on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. I, I think everybody read the press release from the Browns today. And, I mean, the Browns did everything. They played all the right notes. You know, we're, we're, we remain committed to, to being in Northeast Ohio. We value our partnership and collaboration with the city of Cleveland and Mayor Bibb. Uh, we're, we're, this is by no means the end of the road. We still have due diligence to do and all this. But I think the reality is, like, everything he just said is what's hanging in the balance here. And even more. I, all those kind of marquee events. And, like, I, I don't know, man. If you had asked me 15 years ago, would you care if the, the Brown Stadium was no longer in downtown Cleveland? I think I'd care a lot more. But, like, I think it's a tremendous loss for the city of Cleveland at the same point. The Browns need a new stadium, right? And if you aren't going to be an active participant in that, or if you're going to say the right things publicly and then not come correct when the meetings are happening, I'm sorry. Like the like, this is just how the game is played. And I don't know where the right place in downtown Cleveland is for a new stadium. Yeah, it's it's not as if there's an obvious answer to that. So that's kind of my pushback on the maybe the city's not doing the right things or what. I, I just don't know what the, what the actual answer is because. For me, it's not renovating what they have. Yeah. What they have is terrible. Yeah. I wish they had something like, as Albert mentioned, Indianapolis, yeah. like Detroit. Ford Field in Detroit is awesome in the center of downtown. I wish the Browns had something like that, but I don't know where you put it. You've been you've been to the Combine, right? Yes, okay. I have been. So th- that, to me, is I would what love, Indiana. Yes, uh, Indianapolis is awesome. Truthfully, even 
Minneapolis is awesome. There are a lot of other cold weather mid-market cities, and I, I realize Detroit's a little bit bigger, Minneapolis might be a little bit bigger, but you, I think, can make a reasonable comparison to Cleveland in those cities. They've all done it right, and I really want Cleveland to be able to emulate that. Putting it in Brook Park, as, as much as it could be a really cool area, it could be a cool stadium, I think having it downtown makes it feel more special to me. It feels right being town, downtown. It maybe, does. Maybe it's because I'm from the Burbs, uh, and, and I've lived in Medina County and Summit County and Portage County, um, and I, I have lived in Cuyahoga County, but like maybe it's because I'm from the Burbs. I'm used to driving 30 minutes, 40 minutes to get to a Browns game anyways. Right. So whichever direction I'm going – at this point, like I listen, I think it means awful things for the lakefront. I don't think the lakefront's getting redone without the Browns being involved, and I feel incredibly sympathetic to that. But like to me, it's like yeah, okay, instead of instead of going up seventy seven, I just keep going on on four eighty, and I I really think like I think in that scenario, one hundred and seventy six acres, you can do literally whatever you want, right. and I think that means a cross between Indy and Jerry world. And I think that just makes sense. And I think you can build the football Mecca in town, but you're not going to have Indy because the thing that also make in makes Indy great is they've got the convention center there. Mm -hmm. You're downtown. You can get essentially anywhere in downtown Indianapolis, the stadium, the convention center, all the restaurants there. And you barely have to go outside. Mm -hmm. You can do the same thing in Minneapolis In Minneapolis. You can get from the Viking stadium, which is on the East end of downtown all the way to the Twin Stadium and where the Wolves play and not go outside. Mm -hmm. Cleveland doesn't have anything like that. And the one thing I have about the driving, I'm from the suburbs too. I, I grew up in Parma. I grew up in Independence. So I get driving to places. But there's always something special about driving downtown for a football game or a baseball game or a basketball game. And I don't know that that can be replicated when you're driving to Brook Park. Yeah, okay, easy on the Brook Park. No, I heard that tone. No, um, no so listen, I went to high is, school right there. I, I went to Holy Name. I, I've been in that area a ton. But I think my only rebuttal to that is, like, I think what's going to be making it special is instead of it being downtown, I, I, I just don't think of Cleveland as just Cleveland. I think of Cleveland as the area. So, like, when I say I'm from Cleveland – I really, I am from Wadsworth. I am from Peninsula. I am from Cleveland. I am from Manaway. And so I think what's going to make it special is, I just think it's a new tradition. I think, I, I think when people say, well, I want it in downtown at, at any expense, I also think, unless you're um, a politician, I do think a lot of that is, it's because what we know. Right. And I think the Browns have an advantage that the that the Cavs never really did with Richfield and that the Guardians really wouldn't if you put them in the Burbs. I think the Browns are going to draw no matter what. And I think that stadium is going to draw because that retractable roof or that dome, whichever one it's going to be. Better not, be one of them. They're not the same thing, by the way, because I hear people use them uh, interchangeably. They're very different things, but – you know, all of a sudden, guys, we're not going to have to go to Columbus to see Guns N' Roses. You're not going to have to go to Pittsburgh to see the Foo Fighters. You're not going to have to go to Philadelphia to see Taylor Swift. So, like, I think very quickly because of the uh, the universal nature of, of what you can use that kind of building for, assuming that is the plan, and it seems like that is a plan, I think you're going to be surprised how quickly that new tradition becomes old hat here in Cleveland because of... It's the right team to do it. And ultimately, I'll be okay with it, no matter where it is. It's not as if I'm going to stop going to Browns games if it's in the suburb. I'll be okay with it. Just my preference is downtown. 
I don't know. And I don't know the answer to it. I don't. I would be upset for a little bit if they move out of downtown, but I'd get over it. I'm not going to stop being a Browns fan because they don't play on the lakefront anymore. That's that's. I'd be sad for a little bit, but I'd be fine. Daryl has a lot of really great details about what this could mean and the idea that moving out of the lakefront and moving, moving out of the city of Cleveland is a real, real possibility here. And specific to what Albert had to say, um, I think there is a part of me that thinks, yeah, Super Bowl will be cool, but it feels far-fetched. So, like, I think of WrestleManias, and I think of just more better concerts, and I think of just... I think of all the different kind of sporting events, but I'll say this. I, you know, He said, yeah, I think you'll get one. I, he kind of threw it away. I think one Super Bowl being hosted in Cleveland would be the most meaningful thing that could happen to football in Northeast Ohio that isn't the Browns playing in the Super Bowl right. that's in Cleveland. Well, and I wouldn't throw it away because this is something that the Hall of Fame is, what, 45 miles south of Brook Park, 50 miles south of Brook Park. The NFL would, I think... It would be very smart for them to have a Super Bowl if you could in Cleveland because you can combine it with those two things. That's never been done before. Would the Browns get more than one? Probably not. But that one would be so special because of the tie-in with the Hall of Fame. And that is that alone, I think, is worth doing this. And then when you, you talk about the Final Four and WrestleMania and all these other concerts that would come to town that normally skip over Cleveland, I think it's a no-brainer to have something like that. Well, and I just, you know... I. Listen, there's a part of me that can't handle, and I know it's a warm weather town. There's a part of me that can't handle that Jacksonville had a Super Bowl before Cleveland. And I know that there's a lot of reasons for that. Their stadium, um, the weather, your stadium, all of it. But it bugs me that arguably the worst NFL market, Jackson, uh, Duval Fitz, this isn't about you. But it's about. Sounds like it is, Nick. It, it, it's you about. Called you called them the worst. They, well, because they are the worst. They they don't See, have a It's huge, about them. Well, but no, they don't have a lot of fans. That's not their fault. That's their municipality for bringing a team there that they can't support. I digress. You're blaming it them. It is. It is. Yeah, it's all your fault. All right. It's your fault, mom and dad are breaking up. But no, I like. <laughs> I think somebody needs to tell the truth to these damn kids out there. Just kidding, kids. It's not your fault. I realize what I was saying it as it I was saying. It might be, though. Uh, you never know. But, but it's not. But you never know. But um, I do like there is a part of me that's like, man, literally every team in the NFL has either played in the Super Bowl or hosted a Super Bowl. And I, one Super Bowl would be enough. Because here's the thing, like. I agree with a lot of the thoughts about how corporate Super Bowls are, and I agree with a lot of thoughts about how it's really not my scene, right? Like, I, I'm probably the least corporate person you're going to find in any building, let alone this building. That checks out. I also think it is a tremendous honor to do it. And I think it, you know, like, I think radio people have gotten so jaded about this because we've been to Radio Row and because, you know, you see all the 75 different concerts on any given night. And, like, I get it. You're not wrong. But you should be jaded when it's for the in LA for the fifteenth time. When it's in when ten years from now it's in Vegas for the third time. When it's in Miami for the tenth time, like that, I think is different than when it's built here. Just because it doesn't have a lot to do with North City, Ohio, doesn't doesn't discount the importance of it just being here in the first place. But I think with the history of the game of football having such a big place in Northeast Ohio, that matters too. And truthfully, Cleveland has done a great job hosting these bigger events. If you want to look at 
you know, when the NBA had its all-star game here back a couple years ago, Major League Baseball, I believe 2019, the Cavs in the finals for four straight years. And I realize you can't plan ahead for that, but the city itself and the area overall has done a great job hosting these things. I have no doubt that the city of Cleveland, or if it's Cuyahoga County as a whole, would absolutely knock a Super Bowl out of the park. I think it'd be a great thing. I think the NFL would be silly if, again, this is all contingent on having an enclosed structure, whether it's retractable roof or a dome. I think the NFL would be silly not to bring at least one Super Bowl here. I also, you mentioned this in the last segment about how well the infrastructure in India is set up, including its proximity, including, um, you know, the, um, the is it a civic center? I always forget what it is. Convention it's, center. Convention center and how that's located. I do think that that is something that would make a lot of sense if you could do. Like, I let me put it this way. I don't think it's just about a, a stadium. I, I'm naturally anticipating that the Haslam's is is influxed with money as they are, as smart as they are, would probably treat this as an ability to build some I hate Jimmy Jimmy's world. I hate that moniker. I've heard it said on every show. Jimmy's world just sounds a little too close to Jimmy Eat World, which was a band I hated twenty years ago. I'm I'm okay with it now. I was a young man. How do you I feel about the middle? Um don't even get me started. But um, well, that was a great question. It, it's a band. They happened. They had a moment. However, um, the other part of this is I do think that that not underground infrastructure, but making so if you are gonna if it is gonna be the house of Haslam out there, that'd make a lot of sense to do similar things to what Indy did, where you can get from point A to point B without necessarily having to. To, to go outside a lot in the winter. I think that would go a long way to landing you a Super Bowl. But I think you would kind of have to build Jimmy City for that to be the case. It's not Jimmy World where don't you've put got... A, don't put it past no, Jimmy but, Haslam. But if you want to have something like Indianapolis, it's the location of that stadium within the city of Indianapolis because you can get to so many other things that are downtown that are in that city. I don't think it's going to matter if, if Jimmy City is three hotels and 17 restaurants and all the things that come with it. I, but that's I, that's a city. That's not just the stadium. That's not just a convention center. That is so much that I don't know you can fit all of that on the amount of land they have. You can fit a lot on that acreage, but I don't know that you can fit an entire city. Well, I then one of the other parts in the, the Daryl uh, piece was that the city of Cleveland has already been looking at about a $3 billion overhaul of Hopkins. Um, so the airport, right? So I would imagine that this is... Needs. This could be a way where you kind of tangibly stay in business with the city of Cleveland without without kind of putting the ooh um what's the right word the weight the burden of of having this kind of stadium in town which is part of what Cleveland has kind of the city of Cleveland has kind of pushed back on. You guys can vote right now at afternoon 923 fan uh, where would you prefer the Brown Stadium be located? Right now, 50.5% saying elsewhere, 49.5% saying downtown. Let's go with Demos. Welcome to the show, buddy. What you got for us? Hey, so the, the, I was talking to somebody about what benefits it, it would be to move away from downtown. And the, one of the biggest ones is the parking because the Browns only have a little bit of parking by the lake there and, and down in the bowl. And the city absorbs all that. And you think about it, like you just mentioned, hotels, restaurants, everything like that. You're, you know, you're talking, the, the city of Cleveland has to pony up in benefits. This is why, like, you hear, like, people complaining, like, why does the city pay or why does the state pay? 
because we're benefiting financially from the fact that the Browns don't get all the parking, all the restaurants, all the food, all the hotels and this and that. And what you're describing is if they build all of a sudden this entire uh, 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 complex out there in Brook Park, then they're going to get all the parking, all the rent, all the, you know, everything like that. And that's the financial calculation that Cleveland has to come up with in order to keep the Browns downtown. And if it doesn't happen, then guess what? Somebody got cheap. And so, but here's one. I'm going to throw even a wilder one out there for you guys. I'm ready for it. Okay. Highland Park Golf Course. There's two golf courses owned by the city of Cleveland out there by Beachwood and, and Highland Park and all that. I've heard that's another potential spot that the city of Cleveland owns that they could pony up and move the Browns out on the east side. How about that one? So I, here's here's where I, because I, I really like the Brook Park uh, spot because of mm-hmm. its location to everything. I think you for the call, Demos. Um, truthfully, I don't necessarily care as much where it is, and I care more about the functionality and what you can develop around it. I think so. Like the Highland, the Highland Golf Course thing. Like, yeah, hell yeah, that's that's not a bad spot for me either. I'm like I said, I'm driving thirty minutes either way at best. So like, you know, people have talked about Lakeside over here, where uh, like Channel is it Channel nineteen or Channel three? I think it's Channel three. Channel three, yeah, like where Channel three and the FBI are. Okay, yes. yeah, cool. Build one there. Like, <laughs> like it's not. It's not like to me. It's not well downtown or not downtown. It is is downtown really going to do what's necessary to stay in business with the Browns? And I listen. I, I said this to start the show. I think Justin Bibb has a lane that he's been in to get elected. And I think if you look at that lane and what he campaigned for and what he's done, including the the Cleveland scene thing with I'll take a gummy with you. Yeah. Like cool. You're the cool hip young uh, mayor. That's not the guy that that finances stadiums. That's not the guy. Right. That's not the guy that like him. Him making this happen is not going to help him with his base. And unfortunately, in local politics, it now nears national politics, and that's the kind of stuff that matters. Yeah. And as far as the Highland Park area goes, I think that would I would be I would not be a fan of that. I think that is such a difficult area to get around because of that two seventy one interchange. It can be such a hassle. That's where traffic really does build up. I think you would have much more success at at the 480-71 interchange. I just think that would be a much easier place to, and I don't know that it's quite as big as what they just bought, the Haslam's bought in Brook Park. I would not be a fan of Highland Park, man. I I really would not. And I do think that they're actually in the process of renovating that golf course out there. Um, I also don't like the idea of less golf courses here locally. If just, if, if for what it's worth, like, sure. I've already had, uh, I'm, I'm, I love my country golf courses. I've already seen enough of them close. The more golf courses in Northeast Ohio, the happier I am from like March to uh, September, especially a 36 hole course, which yeah. that one is where you've got, I mean, you know, I've got played two nine. full 18s. I got, I got nine in me. That's it. I, yeah. Oh. Do, do I look like somebody that's out there going 36 holes in one day? You look like you could ride in a cart for this 36 This isn't OnlyFans, okay? This is golf. 216-474-0092. Yeah. How, how can you only play nine holes? Nine to 18. Yeah. yeah. What do you play more frequently, nine or 18? Yes. No. Well, I don't want to say nine because it's clearly nine. Come on, man. No. I'm morbidly obese, sir. I get so? the cop out. So? The did car you, did, drives did you, you around. You're not real walking. Quick. Did you just slough off morbid obesity as a reason to, to golf less? I, yeah. Sir, 
Sir, I you, it's exercise. Golf more. I if you're inside, if sorry, if you're under ten percent body fat, I'm gonna need you to see your way out of this conversation. I am not under ten percent body okay, fat. Okay, twelve. Okay, twenty percent body fat. All right, maybe if you're, if you're under twenty percent, um, respectfully. I'm going to need you to abstain from here. The Cavs now make a deal at the deadline. Uh, you, early in the show, when we were doing the 5-5, five and five, you made it pretty apparent you were cool with that, yeah? Yeah, I think it was the right decision. They've been, since December 15th, the best team in basketball. You can say it; it's a hot streak, but I think at a certain point, Nick, it stops being a hot streak and it just kind of becomes who you are. The Cavs are a really, really good basketball team. I don't know if they're a finals-level basketball team, but they're a really, really good basketball team, and I don't think there was a move out there Certainly not that was available to them that changes them from a really, really good basketball team to a finals caliber basketball team. I don't think there was anything worth messing up what they have that they could have done. So I so I think both things, I think both you, what you're saying and what I'm saying are actually very similar things, which is I agree they shouldn't have just made a trade to make a trade. Sure. And I do think if you look across the NBA, there were some teams that made trades to make a trade. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, no offense to Pat Bev. I don't know how big of an upgrade Pat Bev is at this point in his career over campaign. And I I don't know he's clearly worth campaign in a second round pick, but I digress. That's that's for and also considering that he and Dame Lillard might want to throw uh throw soup bones at each other in, in between timeouts. But like I didn't want to move just to make a move. Right. But I also don't want if the Cavs slow down. And like I agree to an extent. At some point, you're not hot. You're just playing really good basketball. Mm-hmm. They are playing more than 900 basketball right now. I'm not anticipating that for most of the year. If they're playing 700 ball for the last 16 games, I'd be like, that is sustainable. Yeah? So I think that they are closer to being – they're not the best team in the NBA. I mm-hmm. don't believe that. Yeah. But I think they're closer to being the best team in the NBA than they are a 500 team, which is what they were before this hot streak. And, I, I, that's where I'm at with. And this. with that, I think the curse is you're in the division. Sorry, you're in the conference with the best team in basketball, which is clearly Boston. But I don't think Boston is some unbeatable juggernaut. I don't. But I and you know I don't think they should be the favorites to win the finals. I think that's still Denver. I Ooh. really do. Ooh. I would I would pick Denver to beat I, them in a series. I think Boston. I think this might be so okay. This is tough because they've had some really good teams with Jalen and Jason. I think this might be the best the talent rolls up to those two players that they've had. And I think, like, as long as uh, Chris Dabbs can stay healthy and stay in the role that he's in, big if, and as long as Drew doesn't run out of gas in the playoffs, like, I think this is Boston's best chance to win a championship. And I mean, I know they were in the finals a couple of years ago, but I think, like, this is it. Like, if you don't win with this team as perfectly constructed around those guys, they're deep. They've got everything you need. They're the two killers on the wing. You know, win this one, maybe it's time to go ahead and have that difficult conversation about breaking up the duo. Yeah, they're awesome. I'm not going to debate you on that. I think they're the best team in the East, but if they were to take on Denver in the finals, I would pick Denver. Like, the Nuggets, to me, look like a team that's kind of bored because they just won a title, and they really don't care about what's going on in February, and I totally understand that. Hell, we've been there in this town with a basketball team before in the past. Boston's I, I actually, really good. Real I don't quick, think they're unbeatable though. I think that's actually where Cavs fans are. I don't think that's where the Cavs are. No, they're not. But I, I think I think and, and I think Cavs fans are enjoying this right now. But in terms of, you know, when we try to have the big conversations about the moves you make, the moves you don't make, expectations, I think Cavs fans have treated this as I'm going to show up, enjoy every single game. 
But when it comes to the big conversations, Donovan's future, the fu- uh, future of the guys around him, you know, expectations, I think it's been at, eh, well, I'll talk to you in, I'll talk to you in April. In- I'll talk to you in May. I, I think people are so over the regular season again. And that to me, like, I don't think the Cavs, I'm not disrespectful here. I don't think the Cavs have earned that. I don't think the Cavs have answered all the kind of questions that you have to have before you can get to the point where you're like, eh, talk to me in the first round of the playoffs. See, I disagree with that. And it's not necessarily a thing you earn by being good. It's because the disappointment of last April losing in five games to the Knicks, it kind of got to the point where the Cavs could win 55 games a season and it was always going to be, okay, well, we need to see it in the postseason. I think it changed a little bit when Mobley and Garland both were out for six weeks and they looked awesome. Like, I think that allowed people to kind of buy into J.B. Bickerstaff as a coach more, considering he wasn't very good, in my opinion, in the playoffs last year. I think it allowed people to believe in this team. But ultimately, if they stayed healthy all year long, they should have been just a regular season wins juggernaut because of the way they're constructed, because they play a little bit of a different style than a lot of other teams. And they can be a very challenging team to prepare for when you have to play them on a Thursday night in February. NBA teams just aren't scouting super in-depth for regular season matchups. That is one of 82. But it was always going to be about the playoffs because of the failures last year. Last year was awesome during the regular season. And then they fell flat on their faces. This year could have been awesome again, but it wouldn't have mattered if they would have lost in the first round. So, but I think my my point is, like last year, we were so in the love bubble. We are in the honeymoon period with Donovan. We were just so happy to be winning um, more than half your games at any given time that we stopped to ask. Well, no, I mean, there were people that, that asked this and were shouted down. I was one of them. Um, hey, is this JB guy doing a good enough job building a bench? And this year, like, I that, that, that and the X's and O stuff hasn't stopped for me. And, like, I think, so when we say, ah, we, we'll just sim to the end of the regular season and get me to the playoffs, wake me up when uh, April 15th begins, or April 14th ends. I was going for the Green Day thing there. It wasn't great. Boo. But the point is, I to them, to me, to everybody. But I like I don't I'm not I don't think it's a given that once the minute restrictions for Darius or Evan come come off that we're not going to have complications in the rotation. I, I like I I fundamentally think we're going to be having this ebb and flow of man, why did Sam Merrill play 7 minutes tonight in a matchup that favored his style of ball? Uh, why, why did Evan stop shooting three-pointers? Like, I think those are things we're going to continue to have the conversations on. So that's what I mean when I say, I'm not just, you know, send me to the end of this because Evan continuing to develop offensively is huge for what they're going to do in the postseason. Um, JB proving that he can continue to have a deep bench and develop it and keep those guys sharp, that is huge. And I think that's my concern is – I. Like, I agree, a lot of this is based off of, man, we just need to wash that out of our mouth from last year. The same point, you get to the, ah, wake me up when the playoffs begin, when your team, in my opinion, when everybody in your organization, you've done, you've answered as many questions as you can in the regular season. I don't think we're there with this team yet. Sure, I get that to an extent, and I do understand some of the concerns. I would not expect Evan Mobley to just stop shooting threes. That's going to be something they continue to work on. The rotation thing is a big question, and JB's been on record saying that you know his ideal rotation is eight or nine guys. They've got 10. You could argue 11 guys that deserve to be on the floor each and every night, and it's just that's something that they're going to have to. It's going to be trial and error. I do think that when you are as good of a team as the Cavs are. I think they've, they're they a team with a relatively high regular season floor. 
That means this time period is for trying things. Not everything's going to work, and that's that has to be okay in February and March. The Cavs aren't going to win every game the rest of the season. They're, they're, they're going to lose again at some point. That's uh, at Danny Cunningham on Twitter, yeah, the I'm, Cavs I'm, hater. Exactly. That's me, yes. That's going to happen at some point. They're going to try things that aren't going to work, but they're also going to try things that are going to work really, really well. I do think that the bench playing 10 guys needs to be important. They need to find minutes for Sam Merrill. They need to keep having minutes for Dean Wade because he's been awesome this year. The development of Isaac Okoro, who continues to be a great defender, and by the way, he's shooting 38% from three. I don't think he takes enough of them, but he is someone that is a, a legitimate threat from that corner spot. Those things, I think, are all things that are so much different than they were last year. And Nick, I also think that this is the thing that we won't see for sure until the playoffs. I think this team is tougher than the team was last year. I don't know that they had somebody outside of Donovan that was kind of willing to mix it up, kind of willing to be a tough guy. And your star being that guy is awesome. But I think you also need someone that's not your star that does that. And I think they have a couple guys that have brought that to the table that have changed this team for the better. Who are those guys? I think Max Struess has done that. And I think Tristan Thompson's done that. Mm -hmm. And say what you want about Tristan getting suspended. Say what you want about his numbers when he's been on the floor. The Kardashians. Say what you want about all that. But I think he's brought a real toughness and a veteran presence that they just didn't have last year. I think what's really, really crucially important to the toughness factor is that those guys are playing and know their role. Right. And, and, And honestly, like the... I just think the Cavs at this point, you're too talented not to win a first-round series. 100%. And so I guess the two things I didn't love that I heard from from Kobe, and there was a lot that I did like or I did uh, agree with, it's just I, I pointed out more of the things I disagree with in the interest of times or in the interest of time. I didn't love him kind of eschewing the conversation about expectations, and I didn't love the youth conversation or the youth point. Say, ah, we're still pretty young in playoff experience. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm done with that. I'm I'm done with well, JB's only had one coaching series here. Well, what about that one he had in Houston? And what about the play in tournament? Like, I just at some point this organization needs to embrace and set expectations. And when expectations aren't met, you you need to kind of there needs to be a rubber meets the road situation. And I think that's this year. I, I think this is the year it's okay to say, this is the most talented we, team we've had since 2017, and it's time to go ahead and have expectations and win some damn games. So what do you think those expectations should be? Because I I, I agree with what you're saying, but I also agree with Kobe that this is not a finals or bust team. That should not be the expectation. No, I think finals or bust comes in when you've actually made an Eastern Conference Finals. I agree. I think the bare minimum expectation is win a playoff series and be super competitive in a second series. And I think we should see a team. They're they're talented enough to make the Eastern Conference Finals. I think that aligns with internally their expectations. And I do think it's okay that you're not verbalizing that for the public because that's not Kobe Altman's job. Kobe Altman's job is to put together a team that can do those things. I think he's done that. What he says to the media, I I don't necessarily care a whole ton about. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.